My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. A lot of people that are applying maps that are currently centered on what I would call a decolonized and indigenized approach, where they're integrating things like two-eyed seeing. We're seeing this shift from saying, well, Western science is central to all research. And we're saying, well, actually, we're taking a different approach to say, well, indigenous knowledge is actually quite important. That's the voice of Steve DeRoy. He's today's guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Colonization is, to a great extent, about land. On one level, it's about taking control of land. But it is also about defining land, in particular defining it as property, about imposing colonial names on the land, and about determining which stories of the land are elevated and which are suppressed. One tool which European empires and settler states have historically employed as they've done all of these things is mapping or cartography, the dominant modern practices of which emerged in conjunction with colonization. But indigenous peoples have always had their own practices of mapping their territories, and of course their own names for, stories of, and practices of being in relation with the land. Indigenous peoples today are not only asserting that these things have survived the last five centuries of colonial violence, but are making very clear that they must once again become central to what happens on the land. And mapping is one tool that they are using to do this. Steve DeRoy is Anishinaabe, from the Buffalo Clan, from Ebb and Flow and Lake Manitoba First Nations in Treaty 2 territory in Manitoba. He's also a cartographer and a co-founder of the Indigenous Mapping Collective. A survivor of the 60s scoop, DeRoy grew up in southern Ontario. As a student, he loved both art and science, and when a neighbor who worked with it showed him the kind of mapping software that gets described as a Geographic Information System, or GIS, he loved it for its capacity to combine scientific analysis with amazing aesthetics. And during his time studying cartography in college, he met someone from a northern First Nation who talked about the ways in which his community was using maps to do things like document community knowledge and community land use activities as part of a process related to forestry development in their territories. So when he graduated, DeRoy started working in contexts where he could be part of, quote, using maps to communicate, defend, and articulate the rights of indigenous peoples, end quote. And in 2009, he and some friends came together to co-found the Firelight Group, an indigenous-owned consulting company that works with indigenous communities in environmental impact assessments, government regulatory processes, and a range of other policy, planning, and research work. In the early 2000s, DeRoy had been part of organizing a gathering which had brought indigenous people together to talk about how their communities were using and could use mapping. And even years later, it still seemed like a very relevant conversation. A little more than a decade after that, he was at an event hosted by Google that was helping people learn how to use some of their mapping-related tools. And inspiration hit. 
Why not bring indigenous participants together in an event centering indigenous pedagogies and combine conversation about ways that different indigenous communities make use of mapping with hands-on opportunities for participants to learn how to use the tools to do those things? The first indigenous mapping workshop happened in Victoria in 2014. This now annual event eventually spawned the Indigenous Mapping Collective and remains a centerpiece of the collective's work. DeRoy is constantly impressed with the range of ways that Indigenous communities find to make use of mapping technologies. Many, of course, are using them to intervene in processes related to resource extraction or state regulation on their lands. Others are using mobile mapping tools to monitor and document how climate change is impacting their territories. Some are using digital mapping tools as part of sharing knowledge and teachings across generations. Some are using them to understand and visualize the cumulative effects of all of the many disparate colonial impacts on their territories and the resulting implications for their ability to exercise their rights. And there are lots of other examples. The Collective also hosts a monthly speaker series and maintains an online platform with a range of resources and tools for its nearly 2,500 members. And, crucially, the Collective and its various events are a way for Indigenous communities to let the companies that make digital mapping tools know what they want, what they need, and what they expect as the technology evolves. I speak with DeRoy about the work of the Indigenous Mapping Collective. My name is Steve DeRoy. I'm Anishinaabe from Edmundflow and Lake Manitoba First Nations in Manitoba, Treaty 2 Territory. I am from the Buffalo Clan. I am also a cartographer by trade, so I make maps. I'm one of the co-founders and directors of the Firelight Group and one of the founders of the Indigenous Mapping Collective. And the Indigenous Mapping Collective is a group of people that are talking about mapping. And so it's the Global Dialogue on Indigenous Mapping. We have an annual event. We have monthly speaker series. We have an online forum for people to connect. I'm a 60s scuba survivor, so I grew up in southern Ontario, and I grew up in a predominantly non-Indigenous society, obviously. I loved art, and I loved science, and one of my neighbors worked for the U.S. Geological Survey. He would travel into Buffalo across the border every day to work, and he told my folks, hey, you should tell Steve about this new program called GIS, or Geographic Information Systems, and it was like a blending of the art and science of being able to take this information and analyze it and then present it in this really beautiful art form through maps. And so I kind of fell into it. I learned about it and I didn't quite know how I was going to apply it. And then I met a fellow in my third year at Fleming College where I studied. And this man was from a First Nation in the North and they were dealing with a lot of forestry developments in their territory. And he told me that they were using maps to document community knowledge and community land use activities and use that information to help manage and plan appropriately for forestry development in their territories. And I just thought, wow, what a creative way to use maps and tell a story. And so for the first decade of my career, I really surrounded myself with people that were much smarter than me that were doing this kind of work and that were involved in and using maps to communicate, defend, and articulate the rights of Indigenous peoples. I kind of worked in various organizations and with various people. And then I started a company with some friends in 2009. We came together and we said, hey, we should really be working together. And why don't we make a company? So that's where the Firelight Group started. We all had an interest in positioning 
indigenous communities in the driver's seat for them to be able to define what their own interests and desires and outcomes of the research that we would be helping them complete would be. And the way we did that consulting was very different in that we centered the nations in the driver's seat. They would be the ones who would be defining what the research would look like. And our role was really about how do we provide that community-based research support and technical support for the community to do that work. So much of our work was designed to create and enhance that community capacity by centering the nation's interests as the driving force for our work. And it evolved from there. A few projects turned to, many projects turned to, like, all of a sudden we needed staff. And from our perspective, the legacy of research in many Indigenous communities has been somewhat of an extractive process. So we wanted to change that. We wanted to do consulting in a different way. And we believe that participatory and collaborative approaches are necessary for creating a culturally safe research environment wherein the Indigenous values become central to the process. So Firelight provides a wide range of services to Indigenous communities. And we work here in Canada, but also in other places like the United States. And we're supporting our Indigenous counterparts in Aotearoa and in Australia. The majority of our work is in the environmental impact assessment realm, where we're looking at how large-scale projects may or may not have an impact on local Indigenous communities. And so our work is really in that realm of supporting communities to be able to integrate their perspectives into these decision-making processes. So a lot of our work is in this realm of supporting and planning for Indigenous participation in these large-scale energy processes. So mapping is one element of what we do, but we're doing a lot broader work with communities across the country. Talk about the context of the need for the Indigenous Mapping Collective in terms of the colonial role that dominant mapping practices have played historically. There's an underlying power of maps. Maps reinforce the relationship between place and space. And maps are not necessarily a passive tool. They've been used to assert power over territory. We can look at this over time that although maps can be used as a communication tool, the underlying notion is an exertion of power and knowledge. And really, the cartographer, the ones that are holding the pen, really wield great power to define place and space. And we've seen that over time here in Canada with colonization. By consciously excluding Indigenous peoples from the map, it reinforced the idea that no one was here and it could be colonized by foreign interests. So a lot of our work is really about how do we enable Indigenous peoples to be able to use maps to decolonize. And while decolonizing the map, Indigenous peoples are now in a position of indigenizing the map and telling stories of their rights and interests, how they might be able to protect those ongoing Aboriginal treaty rights, those constitutionally protected rights, but also how do they assert and acknowledge those rights and ensure that those rights are being enforced. And maps play an important role to be able to change the narrative from, well, you can't go here anymore, to, well, where are the preferred places that we want to have set aside? So our role in this work of environmental impact assessment I think that was one of the impetuses for how do we design a method that will enable Indigenous communities to be able to document high quality data through what we call a directed digital mapping method where, you know, we project maps up onto the wall and the community members are interviewed using a semi-structured interview process and the data is collected directly into the software and we're able to use that for analysis in a much more rapid pace while still maintaining high quality. 
And so the fact that Indigenous peoples have been excluded from the maps with the lack of a stroke of a pen, this is where the Indigenous Mapping Collective has really played a role in a lot of what we do. The fact remains that Indigenous mapping has always taken place in communities, but the pace of technological developments is staggering and daunting for many communities. In my time as a cartographer, I've seen a rapid shift moving from paper mapping to desktop computing. And now we're talking about things like mobile mapping and cloud-based GIS computing. And so for someone that's new to mapping, where do they start? That's what the impetus of the Indigenous Mapping Workshop was. Because Indigenous peoples have been excluded from that map-making process, we're changing that through the Indigenous Mapping Collective by helping to build spatial literacy in Indigenous communities, by providing access to those geospatial and culturally relevant tools and training. How did the Indigenous Mapping Collective come to be? I used to run a program called the Aboriginal Mapping Network. It was through another organization that I used to work for. And back in 2002 or 2003, we organized a conference where we brought together people to start thinking about how can maps be applied. And we shared stories of Indigenous communities that were doing that work. And that really sparked a conversation, a really important dialogue on the importance of maps for Indigenous communities. And so then after we started Firelight, we realized that that conversation was still important. And a decade later, people were still talking about maps, but also how to apply these tools. And so I was invited to go to an event hosted by Google, and they were teaching people how to use Google geospatial tools to be able to tell stories through maps. And I got inspired and I said, well, what if we were to take this idea of the dialogue and the getting inspired by people doing maps and actually then have a practical hands-on session where people are actually building those maps and bring that together. So in 2014, we hosted our first Indigenous mapping workshop in Victoria. And it was the first time that we had kind of sparked this conversation around Indigenous mapping and thinking about how Indigenous peoples are using maps to tell a story. The real goals for this workshop were really about building and creating a safe space for Indigenous people to come together and talk and share stories about the use of maps, data and technologies, while at the same time also increasing spatial literacy by providing access to culturally relevant training. And over time, more and more technology providers saw the value of the Indigenous Mapping Workshop. And they said, well, hey, listen, can you do a presentation using some of our tools? So that's when we brought on partners. And so we realized that this dialogue really needed to expose Indigenous peoples to the wide variety of geospatial technologies and techniques. And then also thinking about how we can advance Indigenous pedagogies of mapping and research methodologies. And all the while, as we're doing this, we've had people coming year after year after year to continually participate in these workshops. And what we've seen is an evolution of people that have been exposed to some of these tools to now they're using them in their day-to-day lives and applying them to solve real-world problems. And thus, we're building this global community of Indigenous mappers. Talk more about what the participants at the Indigenous Mapping Workshops get to do. 
We just had a workshop at the River Creek Casino and Resort in Edmonton, Alberta from November 21st to the 23rd. And we were really fortunate to bring a number of people together to learn, to experience and hear from Indigenous mappers and hear how these technologies are being applied. When people come to these workshops, they're exposed to over 60 technical hands-on training sessions that are delivered and facilitated by our technology partners, including Google, Esri Camp. Canada, NASA, the Canadian Space Agency, Mapbox, people that are working in these different spaces, the people that come to those sessions can learn how to apply those tools. We also have a dynamic mix of presentations from leading experts and community practitioners from across Turtle Island. We had a number of plenary and keynote speakers. We had lightning round speakers. We had over 20 speakers sharing how maps are being applied in various ways. But I think the most important thing is, is that we brought Indigenous peoples together from all over Turtle Island to come together to network and see each other and hear each other and make those connections and develop those synergies amongst one another and really make these lasting connections where people are working in these spaces, often in isolation in their own home communities, and they come together and they realize they're not the only ones out there doing this type of work and that there's other people that are dealing with similar challenges that they're dealing with. And so creating this network of people to come together. We had over 220 people attend the workshop in Edmonton, Enoch Cree Nation, but then we also had over 80 people join and watch the presentations and speakers. We live streamed those. So people, if they couldn't travel for whatever reason, they could still hear some of those inspiring stories of the applications of maps. When people come to these workshops, they're getting not only some talking heads, but they're also diving into the tools to experience how they might be able to build those and apply those in their daily lives as soon as they get back to their communities. And beyond that big annual workshop, what else does the collective do? We have a monthly speaker series where we'll have folks that are doing innovative work share through our collective and people can come and learn and hear or see a demonstration of tools. And then finally, we've got the online space, the Indigenous Mapping Collective. We've got over 2,400 members that are part of the Indigenous Mapping Collective. And what we've done is we've created this space for people to come together and share, but also we've taken all of the training sessions that we've recorded during the pandemic. We did the workshops virtually. We've actually put them all on the collective and made them available for on-demand use. And so folks that can't come to the workshop, they can go and watch those videos and learn from the trainers how to apply those tools. And then we also have access to all the trainers that are on the collective. Someone who might be working in this space that are using the tools, they might have questions about the software and they have direct access to those trainers from those companies to be able to reach out and make those direct connections with folks there. So it's a virtual platform that allow Indigenous mappers to connect with each other and have premier access to mapping resources. What are some of the ways that people in Indigenous communities on Turtle Island are making use of mapping tools in general and the resources available through the collective? Well, there's hundreds of applications, and it's hard for us to kind of keep a finger on the pulse. When we announce our workshops, we ask people to go through a registration process. And it's through that registration process that we really hear some great stories of how people are using mapping and GIS technologies in their day-to-day lives. We have people that are working in the space of documenting Indigenous knowledge and land use activities, as one example, where people are using maps to document where people in their communities go out to hunt and fish and trap. 
But we also have interesting folks that are using mapping tools for monitoring environmental change due to climate change, monitoring and documenting those observations of change in the landscape using mobile mapping tools. There's a big push of folks that are applying these tools to better understand that change in their communities. Then we also have people that are just using maps for drones, using mapping for countermapping, using it for documenting data governance, like how do they store their data and set rules around who can access and how that information can or cannot be used. And then we have a lot of folks that are doing that intergenerational knowledge transfer where they're documenting these values and using it as learning tools and educational tools within their community, whether that's like place names mapping or being able to share those Indigenous teachings through maps. So there's a wide range of folks that are using maps to better understand a wide variety of issues like cumulative effects, for example. Cumulative effects is the issue that a lot of Indigenous communities are facing now, wherein that we've got a number of pressures on the landscape from various reasons, whether that's industrial development, whether that's private land ownership, whether it's agriculture. But being able to visualize that and put that all together on a map within a territory to be able to understand, well, where can we go to practice our rights? Where are our rights being infringed because of whatever reason that might be? And so there's a big push from a lot of communities that are looking at that landscape change analysis due to cumulative effects from large-scale industrial development. So these are just some of the examples where people are using maps to tell a story. Talk more about the importance of Indigenous pedagogies in the work of the collective and in the broader context of mapping. Well, we've got a lot of people that are applying maps that are currently centered on what I would call a decolonized and indigenized approach, where they're integrating things like two-eyed seeing, where we're creating maps that integrate that Indigenous perspective of place. And how we carry out that research and how people are actually applying these tools are very indigenized. So we're seeing this shift from saying, well, Western science is central to all research. And we're saying, well, actually, we're taking a different approach to say, well, indigenous knowledge is actually quite important. And how we collect and use that information is equally important as Western science. We've seen some examples where we've had communities do traditional knowledge or Indigenous knowledge research. I'll give you an example from one of the research studies that we've done, where we're documenting community observations of change due to lowering water levels in a territory. One community we were working with, they're a flying community, they access the territory through boat. And so when the water levels were diminishing in their territory, they were documenting all those pressure points throughout the territory. And the elders and land users and boat navigators, what they were saying was is that there's a certain threshold of water level that is impacting their rights, meaning that if they were to go out and shoot a moose and put that in their boat and navigate back, they'd actually get stuck in certain parts of the river because the water levels were too low, thus infringing their rights to be able to practice those constitutionally protected rights. So we mapped out all of these values throughout the territory of these experiences and then the flip side of it is that the nation then went and did five years of Western science community-based data collection, where they were looking at measuring water levels in certain parts of the territory. They were looking at water quality and looking at other issues. And basically what that result of that research was is it 
essentially verified and backed up exactly what the elders and land users and water navigators had said like five years earlier. This is where these rights are being impacted. So this is where we're seeing the braiding of these two different knowledge sets and giving weight to each of them is equally important, but also recognizing that there is value to that Indigenous way of doing research. And I think that's an important thing to highlight. And that's what usually comes to these workshops. People that are using these tools and indigenizing the research process that makes sense to the communities that they're representing. And for us as organizers of the Indigenous Mapping Collective, it's important for us to be able to highlight that so that other people know about those really innovative ways of how research is being carried out in Indigenous communities. Are there instances where the Indigenous Mapping Collective has been able to be a way for Indigenous communities to say, you know, this is how we use this digital mapping tool, this is how we'd like to use it, and to exert influence over how that tool develops in the future? Absolutely. And when I mentioned earlier that the trainers are on the collective, they're also coming to these in-person events. And oftentimes that's the conduit that Indigenous communities have to these companies is through the trainers. We were very fortunate one year. I remember we were doing a training session and we had a number of folks that had come from a remote First Nation. And I think the first thing that most people do when they go onto a map and they're learning about these tools, they want to go see what their house looks like. So they fly to their home and they zoom into their neighborhood or where they live and they can see the map and they can see, oh, there's my car parked in the driveway or there's, you know, some features around my house. And what we found with some of these folks that were coming from some of these northern remote communities is that their communities weren't represented on the base maps. And it was kind of one of those aha moments during the training session that, wow, Indigenous communities are not being reflected on Google's base maps. This really sparked an initiative that Google took to ensure that Indigenous lands were being reflected through the base maps. But that wouldn't have been seen unless those folks were part of the training sessions. And Google went through a process of ensuring that all those lands were reflected on their base maps. We've also had other experiences where people are applying the tools and say, hey, I would really love it if this tool could do this functionality or have this type of way of being able to view things and being able to be connected to the folks at these technology companies. They've taken that to heart and brought it back to their software developers and engineers to then integrate some of that functionality. We're very fortunate for our partners. Esri Canada is another one that has done that, where they've looked at how the mapping tools can be used as a data collection tool and build apps that enable Indigenous communities to actually go and collect their own data using a method that we've developed, the direct digital mapping method. So it's a two-way process. The communities are able to get training out of these sessions with those trainers, but also those trainers can hear the various ways in which these tools are being applied or not applied for that matter and be able to then make those changes to ensure that those tools are more inclusive of those needs. I think that there's real value in Indigenous peoples leading their own engagements and being a part of that research and applying these maps and tools. I think Indigenous peoples are reasserting their voice by holding the pen and being able to define their own processes through maps and by having all the necessary data to weigh the pros and cons of particular issues. I think it enables Indigenous peoples to be the drivers of their own destinies. And so I think Indigenous mapping plays an important role for helping Indigenous communities define what that looks like. 
mapping plays an important role for being able to communicate those interests and desires and those perspectives. You have been listening to my interview with Steve DeRoy of the Indigenous Mapping Collective. To learn more about the collective, go to indigenousmaps.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 